prophet Jeremiah knew what it was to be disappointed after he realized that his country was going to be taken into captivity in a foreign land in Babylon. He grieved, but what disappointed him the most was that all he was called by the Lord to deliver the message of both deliverance and hope by turning back to the Lord. Not only did the people not listen to his message, but they opposed him. And that opposition became so great that he was accused of of treason for speaking the word of the Lord. And in chapter 20 of Jeremiah, he was imprisoned in his own country by his own countrymen. And he expresses this heart in Jeremiah 20, 14 through 18. Let me read this for you. Jeremiah, the prophet of the Lord, says, Cursed be the day on which I was born, the day which my mother bore me. Let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father. A son is born to you, making him very glad. Let that man be like the cities the Lord overthrew without pity. Let him hear a cry in the morning and an alarm at noon, because he did not kill me in the womb. So my mother would have been my grave and her womb forever great. Why did I come out from the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? the prophet Jeremiah expressing the the great disappointment that he was going through in his life. Well, I'm glad Jeremiah doesn't end with chapter 20, but I think there's a sense of us, a sense to us, if we are honest with ourselves in our dark days, we could relate to what Jeremiah is saying. This morning, after considering the Lord's will, I'd like to preach on a topic I never have preached on fully, I'd like to preach on the topic of God's grace in disappointment. God's grace in disappointment. I got a book recently. I haven't been able to read the whole book, but it's actually the title was God's Surprising Grace in Disappointment. And I think we can understand why the author used the word surprising because we think that in our disappointment, the, the Lord, he can only deliver us from it. It's all bad. It's all negative. But rather, sometimes we find as we grow in Christ and look to his grace, that it actually is surprising that this thing that we're disappointed in is the very thing that God used to draw us to himself. What exactly is disappointment? Um, I heard it put this way, disappointment is an accurate response to a disappointing world, a fallen world. Our speaker in two weeks... um, Jeremy Pierre, it would be a real treat for for us, actually found a study he did on disappointment. Let me quote something that that he wrote. Uh, Pastor Pierre says, Life is one long, steady disappointment. This dawns on most people by their 30s. Childhood is all potentiality. The teenage years are all angst. But even angst betrays some hope, since it's only quiet outrage that things could be better. A person can still carry into his 20s the illusion that the world will soon blossom. Not until his 30s does a person realize that much of what's coming won't be better than what has come. The 40s, 50s, and on often only reinforce 
Alexander Pope's infamous beatitude, blessed is the man who expects nothing, for he shall never be disappointed. To live is to be disappointed. I, um, I, I read about a, a man who was talking about when he was a boy, uh, there were these advertisements on like the back of comic books for different cruel toys. And this guy was talking about how he saved all his money for a plastic submarine that really was supposed to work. And you actually filled it with baking soda and it slowly went down and then as the baking soda dissolved, it, it came back up. And so he spent all his money on this. He got it, put it in, it just dropped right to the bottom. And after a while, it bubbled up and he was so let down and so disappointed. I remember uh, growing up in Florida, my, um, my dad talked about us renting a house in uh, the Flint, Michigan area for the summer, and it had a really cool playhouse with all the gadgets. So I, I just dreamed about this, like my own house in the backyard. It was junk when we got there. It's full, full of junk, you know, wasp, rot, uh, disappointing. Uh, when I was growing up, as a 14-year-old, our uh, family started to dissolve, and I didn't realize how serious uh, marital things could be. And so I figured, oh, well, I'm just going to pray that the family will come back together by Christmas time. I'm sure it's not an issue, but I'll pray about it. Never happened. It probably should have happened. But that was uh, uh, a great, great disappointment. Uh, and we know that disappointment is often based on unrealistic, unrealistic expectations, American expectations, this optimism that we have that the, the, the sun will come out tomorrow, right? And that's, that certainly sets us up for disappointment. I don't think it's a sin to be disappointed. It certainly provides a major occasion for sin, right? A major um, opportunity if we, if we keep demanding that we must have this life we wanted, we must have our own plans be fulfilled, rather than submitting to Christ's plans, which, by the way, are, are better. We just have a hard time accepting that sometimes. I remember uh, when I was in between being a kid and a young adult, some of you in that category today, and uh, it was Christmas time, and uh, I got a bunch of books instead of fun stuff, and uh, I was really disappointed, and I did not do a good job of hiding it either. <laughs> I could tell my, my family was, could tell that I did, did, didn't want books. Now that would be great, but at the time it was, it was disappointing. Yeah, I think disappointment is, is a lot like, an, picture an artist in training who is trying to paint this beautiful masterpiece and, and, and he thinks that he begins to mess up and it's not turning out exactly how he wants, but, but really the master artist is standing behind him and, and saying, well, actually, this is going to be a better end result which is really joy and freedom and, and God's plan instead of what we wanted, instead of our hopes and plans and our dreams. But certainly scripture acknowledges that disappointment hurts, right? You know the proverb, Proverb thirteen twelve: hope deferred 
makes the heart sick. Things don't go as planned. Hopes and dreams don't materialize. We can end up bitter, disillusioned, accusing God even of doing wrong. How are we to deal with these hard knocks in life? Well, I'm thankful we don't have to look very far in Scripture to find many examples of people who faced disappointment and wrestled with it and then uh, surrendered and submitted in these setbacks and tragedies to the Lord Jesus Christ. I find there to be great, helpful truth in Christ, in the gospel, as we learn to trust God and we learn to accept his surprising grace in disappointment. Now let me define disappointment, my attempt at at defining disappointment. The feeling of loss or failure because our plans, hopes, expectations, or desires have either not been met or, in some cases, our plans have been continuously frustrated. So I think it's a little, disappointment is a little bit more than just, oh, it didn't pan out this way. We actually see sometimes that like, there's some force that's actively working against us. Uh, one more quote from Jeremy Pierre, our guest speaker in two weeks. He says, disappointment is what we experience when that garden never blooms. But I want to go a little further. I think disappointment is a very great premature judgment call. And as I look at the scriptural examples that we'll look at today, sometimes we're tempted to make judgment calls, not reflecting the glory of God and his goodness, but only reflecting his sovereign control without, his, without incorporating love and wisdom. So we make all these judgment calls that leads to great disappointment and disillusionment when we're not able to see what God is doing. So we're focusing on my plan not working rather than trusting the loving, gracious hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Now, what kind of things disappoint you? I wanted to know, so I turned to the source of all truth, Facebook, right? And I asked, and I wasn't disappointed. There was plenty of people to give their opinion. That's amazing. I was so surprised. Here is the the raw data. My failures, being misunderstood, incompetence in leadership, lack of love for Christians, seeing God's truth distorted and I don't know how to answer them or I just don't. In-laws, everything's everything's disappointed at some point or another, kids, spouse, friends, job, etc., No healing, no good job, no spouse, no baby, no kids. Life at the moment, when you work really hard on something and it still fails, um, this is true, I'm giving all these, biting into a fruit and realizing it's rotten. Finding out someone you trusted was false. When I suffer consequences of my own sin and foolishness again. uh, Raisins and what appear to be chocolate chip cookies. I'm sorry, I know Pastor Eric likes that, but that's lack of care or empathy from others, unkept promises by, by others, people. Um, when, I, when I think it's Friday and it's really Wednesday, 
Uh, vacation canceled, plans change, when someone uses the laughs of the coffee creamer, uh, when you try to share your heart and you're misunderstood, when giving biblical counsel and it's rejected and they continue down the same sinful path. Uh, one person said, if I lived in Michigan, that's disappointing. <laughs> the number one answer by far, anybody want to guess? It's not very far from you. Mostly ourselves. That was the number one answer. Mostly disappointed in, in myself. So, if we want to start handling disappointment in a godly way, the scripture would have us simply acknowledge that our specific disappointments are not just something we face in our lives. 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 13 is very clear. There's no temptation or trial except that which is commonplace to all of mankind. God is faithful in each of these things, but our unique struggle is not as unique as we may think. The world is not uniquely unfair to us. It is fallen. It is disappointing for everyone. This is why we need Jesus. We need his true and living hope. Nancy ended a long-term relationship. She struggled with it for decades. It was basically about harsh memories and daily friction. They had taken their toll on her. Uh, she said, I never felt the emotional closeness I hear other couples describe. And in this nightmare, and instead of continuing on, she decided to end the relationship. Bob loved his job. His co-workers appreciated his accomplishments, but his supervisor was distant. He was very critical, gave him very little praise. He felt hampered. He felt underappreciated. But otherwise, it was satisfying, but his manager let him go after many years. Susan knew something was wrong before the doctor spoke. He said the biopsy shows cancer. A mastectomy might remove the cancer, but he wasn't sure. Confusing for Susan, swirling in her mind, trying to grasp this. This, this wasn't supposed to happen to me. Cancer happens to other people. Why would this happen to her? I look at my own life, and like you, I have a lot of disappointments, um, many of them, yeah. troubled relationships, poor evaluations, death of loved ones, health challenges, social snubs, confusion. So after all of this, I bring us to this question, my friends. Could it be that our Lord Jesus Christ has a perfect and gracious reason for allowing your disappointments, my disappointments. Maybe our plans and our dream was really not the wisest and best. Maybe it was actually selfish, and Jesus Christ graciously overruled. Maybe Christ's love for us and his desire to show his glory in our lives and through our lives in Christ, maybe that was only going to arrive on the train that ran on the tracks of disappointment. And this is what we look about. We don't look about God's grace to get us through disappointments. We're looking at God's grace in disappointments. In disappointments. Do you think the Lord radically wants to change our perspective this morning through his word in this topic? I really believe he does. So I want you to listen very, very carefully. 
no matter what you and I have lost or will lost. We have all good things in the Lord Jesus Christ. But friends, his ways, his thoughts are much higher than ours. This is why he calls each of us to radical looking away from ourselves and trust. And trust is not just I hope, but it is I'm submitting to you, Lord. I am following you. I'm putting my will under yours, Lord, and I'm believing in you. And the scripture says if we trust in him, in the end, we will not be disappointed. Disappointment is actually a premature judgment call about what Jesus is doing. And as our broken hearts wait for faith to be made sight, we can be sure in it, he's drawing us closer to himself. So I'm going to look at three examples, or four, really four examples of disappointed people in the scriptures. We're going to look at two in detail, and then two I want to mention, maybe you want to further study them. But turn with me first to Psalm 73. Psalm 73, and as you turn to Psalm 73, I want to talk to you about Ruth and Naomi. This is one we're not going to look at in detail, but I want to mention this, and this might be a book that you want to really study this week. It's a beautiful book. We could describe what they went through as really tragedy after tragedy. Naomi, remember, was from Bethlehem in Israel, and, and it was during the dark, faithless days of Israel, or excuse me, Judges. She and her husband with the two kids went down to Moab because there was a, a famine in the land. While she was in Moab, her husband died. Her two sons got married, but they both died. Uh, life certainly did not go how Naomi had expected. Naomi decided to return to Israel after all the tragedy. One of her daughter-in-laws, Ruth, decided to go with her. The Lord was working in Ruth's heart to make Naomi's Lord God her own. And she believed that he was the only true God. She put her faith in him. And so they traveled together back to Jerusalem. And the women of the city, when they saw her, said, Is this Naomi? She says, No. My name is now Mara. Bitterness. Call me bitter. And then she explains... For the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me? The Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Notice in her disappointment, she still believed the Lord was sovereign. She would say something like this, it is what it is. Kind of a fatalistic approach to God's Sovereignty, but she lost sight of his goodness and love and wisdom, and she responded prematurely in a short-sighted way to what the Lord was doing in his timing. Naomi is a, a good illustration of how we initially respond to disappointment can turn into frustration. It can turn into bitterness. It can turn to resentment. Yet the Lord, in the central feature of the scripture, gives us the cross and shows us in the cross where we see so much injustice. We see so much shame. 
But yet the cross was a part of God's central sovereign plan to bring the greatest good out of the most dire evil. And the resurrection came and we serve a saving and a living Savior. See, what Naomi didn't know was that God had in store for her that she was going to be a, a grandparent of a new child. Ruth would be married to Boaz, and Ruth would be the great-grandmother of King David. That means Naomi would be the great-great-grandmother of King David. He, it, uh, this child would be in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, mentioned in Matthew 1.5. And this is what God was doing, yet she could never see it. It was tough. See, our, our ways are not God's ways. So we hope in God's wisdom, power, and goodness. We learn to rest submissively by faith in Jesus Christ in times of disappointment. He's, he was working to redeem Naomi and Ruth and, and through them provide the ultimate redeemer, Jesus Christ. I look back and try to interpret messed up home. Divorce, brokenness, and I see through that not a lot of hope, but I do see in my misery that I was ready for glimmers of the great hope in the gospel because, frankly, I didn't have any other hope in my life at all when sent to a Christian school my, my, my 10th grade year. Yeah, it's hard to put these things together, but we see that in these disappointments, Christ is turning our eyes To him, he is perfect in wisdom. He knows what is best. He is perfect in power. Yes, he could have made things go differently, but he is perfect in goodness, and he wants what is best in the eternal lives of his people. Are you willing to submit and trust in his grace and disappointment? I know it's hard. I know it's a wrestling match in your soul. Mr. Spurgeon said it this way. I've learned to bless the waves that crash me upon the rocks of Jesus Christ. And that's hard when you're getting crashed. And we have to keep our eyes squarely on Jesus and his grace. Now look with me at out of focus Asaph. Now we're in Psalm 73. So Asaph is a musician, a song leader, a philosopher as such. His psalms are recorded in 73 through 83, uh, very similar. He's basically starting out of focus. He's wrestling with himself. And here in Psalm 73, he, he's missing what is truly good. So I want to ask some questions as we go through Psalm 73, such as, what caused his disappointments? What was God doing through his disappointments? What jolted him back into a godly viewpoint? What was the new grace perspective? Here we're going to see in Asaph's life, God was redefining his definition of good because it was very messed up. Psalm uh, uh, 73 starts that, that God is good to Israel. Those who are of a pure heart. But I'm an exception. As for me, what caused this disappointment? My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Why? For I was envious of the arrogant. 
I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They don't have any problems, verse 4. They have no pains until death. Their, their bodies are fat and sleek. That's a good thing back then, right? Verse 5, they're not in trouble as others. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, man, they're, pro- they're proud. Verse 6, they're, they're violent. Their eyes swell through fatness. Their heart overflows with folly. They, they scoff. They speak with malice. What is going on here? These people seem to be so successful. I'm actually jealous of their lifestyle. They, they just seem to do what they want. Verse 10 or verse 9 expresses it well. They set their mouths against the heavens. Their tongue struts to the earth. Therefore, as people turn back to them, find no fault in them, they say, how can God know? There's no knowledge in the Most High. Behold, these are the wicked. They're always at ease. They increase in riches. Here in these verses, you see his definition of good, what he really wants. You see some idols. You see, I think, what caused his disappointment. And we're not so maybe crass as to say these things out loud. But we analyze what, what's causing our disappointment. Look at, his, look at his premature conclusions, by the way, in verses 15 to 16. He says, it's been a waste of time. All in vain I've kept my heart clean, washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said this out loud, he says, I would have betrayed God's people. But when I tried to figure this out, man, it was a, it was a, a wearisome, burdensome, depressing task. That's where Asaph's at. But if you feel like Asaph sometimes, and, um, and you probably do, I do too, what is, what is God doing graciously through it? What's he doing? What's he doing in your disappointment? Maybe it's major, maybe it's minor. What's he doing in your life? What, what, what jolted Asaph back into a godly viewpoint? What, what works in our lives? Well, look at verse 17. <laughs> He was very wearied, very confused. His perspective was all messed up, we would say. Verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. What was jolting him back into reality? God. God's ways. God's revelation. God's word. God's plan. And now he begins to see... Well, actually, according to your word, Lord, as I walk by faith, you actually set them in slippery places. You're going to make them fall and run. They're going to be destroyed. Uh, Verse 20, like a dream, when one awakes, O Lord, when you arouse yourself, you'll despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, I was pricked in heart. I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. He's saying, basically, I was not thinking your thoughts after you. I was looking from a temporary, selfish perspective that wanted what I wanted. Basically, what the world wanted rather than what your plan was. I was missing the good that you were providing in my life. Now, we have no evidence here that anything changed in Asaph's circumstances. But look at how God's word affected him as he submitted in faith to it. Look at verse 23, the new grace perspective. Nevertheless, This is better than what he lost. I'm continually with you. 
And how much more do we understand this by faith in the new covenant with the Spirit with us always in Christ? You hold my right hand. 24, you guide me with your counsel. Afterwards, you receive me into glory. Now listen to these statements. Now, whom have I in heaven but you? Do you see himself counseling himself with the word of God? There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. Yes, my, my flesh is going to fail. My, my heart is going to fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who's unfaithful to you. New perspective, verse 28. But for me, here's his new definition of good. What is it? To be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. See, friends, disappointments are often God's ways of redefining our understanding of what truly good is, the yes we have in Christ. In Asaph's case, disappointments rescued him from worldly, crazy, temporary priorities. And you see, this is why our disappointments initially look like our worst enemies, don't they? But in Christ, they become our best friends, faithfully pointing us to contented joy in the Lord Jesus Christ, his love, his gospel work, his resurrection, his coming, his promises. You know, there's a promise in the Old Testament. It's, it's written in a couple different ways. But it always talks about those who seek the Lord will lack no good thing. Or something like, no good thing will the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. And you you think about those and you're like, really? Is that true? If something is truly good or best, does that mean God will provide it for us? Yes, it does. But... We aren't able normally to see in the eternal picture what is truly best. So something that looks disappointing, oftentimes it is an expression of Christ's covenant love and grace. Now that may be difficult to swallow at first. After all, I'm still sick. I'm still alone. I'm still childless. I'm unemployed. I'm still struggling with the results of this sin and the consequences. Well, this doesn't mean that we're not going to be disappointed in some things and lack some things, but it does mean that God's not going to withhold anything that will not bring us greater settledness and trust and reliance on Jesus Christ, his blood, his righteousness. So even if you are lacking health or a job or kids or companionship, you're not lacking anything good because Christ has ordained your lack of those things at this point in your life to bring you more of himself and to appreciate the gospel. Now let's turn to 2 Corinthians now, chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is the Apostle Paul. And of course, you can imagine the Apostle Paul would have some struggles in particular because he was the recipient of 
a great portion of the New Testament revelation for God's people. And so Paul had disappointments, but the Lord was working in his life in such a way that those disappointments was exactly what the good shepherd knew he needed. I'm going to pick up following his account of his uh, being taken to heaven, being heard things that he couldn't utter, understanding some things, uh, and then he's explaining what happened after that, picking up at 2 Corinthians 12, 7. So, to keep me from becoming conceited. Conceited with what? Well, he went to heaven, got a vision, heard things nobody else heard. So he didn't go around and say when he had a disagreement with somebody, he's like, hey, have you been to heaven? I've been to heaven. Okay, we're having fried chicken tonight. I'm teasing you a little bit, but you know, our pride comes out in lots of different ways, right? So to keep me from becoming conceited because of, here it is, the surpassing greatness of the revelations. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. A thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. There's that word again. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, no, I have something better for you. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is unlike human power. My power, the Lord says, is perfected in your weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly, not of my big revelations I saw and heard things I couldn't even utter. I'm going to boast in my weakness. Why is that? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What does that mean? Verse 10, for the sake of Christ, then I am settled. I'm content. I am happy with what God's doing. I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Okay, so the apostle dealt with some serious disappointments. You can read the book of Acts, and you can see that. Some were large, some were small. This is where he's writing about that famous thorn in the flesh. That's lots of options about Truly good people differ, and they have a lot of exegetical arguments of whether it's eye problems, migraines, cancer, depression, uh, false teachers. I mean, you have a, a big gamut of those things. I'm, I'm thankful, frankly, for our sake. We don't know particularly. But we do know this, that in his disappointments, he, he implored the Lord three times that it might leave him. He, he didn't want it. Three times God refused, but he had something better from Paul, and Paul had to submit to that. And this is great truth for us. Instead of fighting our disappointments, we submit in faith to Christ. Because normally our dreams and hopes and expectations are skewed. Skewed by self. Skewed by lack of wisdom. Skewed by our own willfulness. And so God was graciously, as he does with us, is, was teaching Paul. Helping Paul. 
Paul had to realize that what he needed more than a trouble-free life was he needed humility. And so this, whatever this um, messenger of Satan, thorn in the flesh was, it wasn't out of God's control, was it? So he wasn't binding this thorn, he wasn't binding Satan, he was submitting to what God was doing through it. Because the only one I know who's working in our lives to make us humble is the Lord Jesus Christ. So he was using the evil of Satan to actually humble him. Because the scripture says, does it not, many times, the God resists the proud, but gives what to the humble? Grace. So we're fighting God because of our disappointments, and yet God is seeking to minister grace to us to settle us. You say, well, that can't be my spouse. Mm-mm. No, it, it is your spouse. They're part of God's means and plans to humble you and to settle you and to teach you what it means to serve like Jesus. Well, it's not my lack of a spouse. No, it is right now. It's part of God's plan to make you content in him. And that's his plan right now as he, he is doing these things. See, three times God refused Paul, but what was God graciously doing? He was doing something better. My grace is sufficient. My strengthening, all-sufficient power that you don't deserve, it's enough for you, Paul. For, for my power is perfected only in weakness. And, and Paul, you have something that's still resisting my wonderful grace. It's self-sufficient pride and conceit. And so listen to Paul's response. He's going to have to be glad about some new things. He's going to have to be glad about his weakness. Glad about that disappointment. That takes a lot of faith. It takes looking to Christ. The priorities so Christ's power may dwell in me. I'm going to be content then. If God chooses these disappointments to be the channel of more grace and more turning to Christ, I'm fine with that. I understand, Lord, you're using this trial and disappointment for your glory, and Paul rejoices. I heard of a pastor that wanted to visit Ireland for for many years because he knew it was so beautiful and there's... God's glory was expressed in all the different shades and varieties of of green. But he learned when he went there, there's a reason why it stays green. It's almost always covered with fog. There's almost always a constant mist. And this is sometimes how we grow as Christians. Really growing in Christ, staying green, following Christ passionately, focusing on dying to self and serving others. Sometimes we're in a fog and a disappointment because the Lord wants us to learn that we, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord, that he is our true, confident joy that never disappoints. And we learn to rest in him by, by faith, not all the wise. Don't think we could understand it even if he chose to tell us. See, disappointment is actually a great aid for us. Disappointment gets our eyes 
off of ourselves, off of our plans, off of our glory, which is, by the way, is a lot of pressure to have everything figured out. And, and I'm going to control everything. And we learn to think Godward. We learn to think truth about God. We learn to bask in our union with Christ and his perfect righteousness. We learn that I'm going to follow God's plan and God's dream and God's ways. And if he has a plan for pain and sorrow and difficulty, I know that God can be trusted because only he knows perfectly in his wisdom what he is doing. And, and this is a tough one for, for many of us. And we just struggle to submit that in God's view, he gives us what is best in Christ. And he's working his overall divine plan. And he is more concerned with transforming us and our hearts and desires to be like Christ than he, ours, than he is us feeling fulfilled and all our dreams coming through and never being disappointed. So, so we stop demanding Christ removes our pain and disappointment and we rest with Christ. I submit to you in faith. You are kind. You are good. Healing can be good, but so can lack of healing. It can bring us more of God by drawing us closer to him. That's what Paul experienced with his thorn in the flesh. If God choose to change this or not to change it, it's because this disappointment would bring him even more of his all-satisfying presence than changing that thorn would have ever done. Even though I don't get what I want, even though I am lacking what I wanted and I'm disappointed, through that disappointment, through that pain, I, I have found the beauty of resting in Christ and enjoying him. See, since, since Jesus is my all-satisfying treasure, then whatever brings me to him is best. It's God's plan. And as we wrap up this morning, I do want to bring up something because we have this relationship with faith through the cross with Jesus Christ. And he was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. We understand that he, is, he understands what we're going through more than anyone else. So I asked, was, was Jesus disappointed? It's not a sin to be disappointed, it's a sin to how he'll respond. I have no doubt from the text of scripture, I can see examples where it seems like he was. He experienced disappointed. He was grieved by the effects of sin in the lives of others. He was grieved by unbelief. He was grieved by what sin did in the world. Friends, he never gave up his confident trust in the Father. And unlike us, Jesus always fulfilled the responsibility to God's plan. He was the perfect law keeper. In spite of his circumstances, we don't always do so well. That's why we look to Jesus for our righteousness, our salvation, our hope, and not here. But in Matthew 14, Herod had John the Baptist beheaded. Jesus heard it. He left. He went to a deserted place. John 6, following his great sermon on the bread of life, Many followers left him. He ended by asking his 12 disciples, are you going to leave me too? They said, no, we're never going to. And he says, I'm, I'm glad for that, but one of you has the devil. 
talking about Judas. John 11, of course, Jesus weeps at the grave of Lazarus, sorrows mixed with joy. To those who think it's wrong to struggle with disappointment, Ecclesiastes 3 says there's a time to laugh and there's a time to weep. But Jesus showed perfectly what 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says. We grieve, certainly, but we don't grieve with those without hope. Trusting his Father, he came and served us by submitting to the death, even the death on the cross, being unjustly accused by frauds, The disciples were dispirited, but friends, as we saw recently, we serve a saving, a a living, saving Savior, a Savior who extends his hands out to sinners like us and gives us hope in the gospel for forgiveness and righteousness and eternal grace and hope. This is why whenever we as Christians look at disappointments, the end game is to turn us to hope in Christ, to look to Christ, that Jesus himself, God in the flesh, bore our griefs, carried our sorrows for us in love, and in the end, God says he'll wipe away every tear from his children's eyes, but until then, he promises in Christ through the Spirit to draw near to the brokenhearted and to save those who are crushed in spirit. So right there, as you curl up on the floor in sorrow, and as you bang your head against the steering wheel in anger, I would suggest banging your hand instead of your head, but right there in your office or your kitchen as you drop your head to your hands, remember the scripture says, as you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. So what are, what are some closing thoughts on God's grace of disappointments? Remember, my dear friends, that your true security is only in Christ. And he's your solid future hope. He never promised us that we'd walk through our front door today. But he promised us security to him through the gospel. Don't let the disappointments in life derail your faith in Christ and his promises. Don't equate your hopes and dreams with God's plan. Let's remember that he's in charge and we're his humble followers. I love what Corey ten Boom, the Dutch Christian, said. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God, you'll be at rest. Very good counsel. John Piper says that when Christ died... He purchased for you the yes to all of God's promises, 2 Corinthians 1, and that includes the promise to use his sovereign power to govern all of the implicable, inexplicable, maddening detours and delays of your life for wise and loving purposes. He is doing a thousand things for you and for his glory in your disappointed plans. And this is what we have to say. We trust a perfect Savior who truly never disappoints us. He's always doing what is right. He is always doing what is best. And so we submit to him rather than fight against him. We all face unfulfilled dreams and sorrows and disappointments. We understand our Lord Jesus said, in this world you will have sorrows, you'll have trouble. For, for, for one with less life experience teenager, young person, this is going to be maybe a new thought 
Now you're going to have things in your life that detour you and shake you up and you think, I thought this, but this is happening. So I want to just close with a, a few perspectives of God as we face disappointment. Point A, you're never going to eliminate disappointment this side of heaven. Can't escape disappointment in a broken world. This is why we have books like Ecclesiastes that remind us this. No matter how many optimistic commencement addresses you hear, okay, sooner or later, at some point, you're going to end up disappointed with some aspect of your life. Friends are going to let you down. Family's going to let you down. Employers, the nation, I know I do, pastors, elders. At times, you're going to feel like I do that God let us down. So what's God doing? Well, Romans 5 tells us that although we don't like to be disappointments, disappointments serve a divine purpose, trials, disappointments. We learn patience, humility, perseverance, endurance, trust. That is to say God is developing Christ's likeness through these things as we submit to him. We also, through our disappointments, we learn on a deeper level what it means to really humbly rely on Christ. Like the kind of reliance that I can't get through this day without Jesus. That's right. That's what he's wanting us to see. Because you know what? That's true. That's not just a power of positive thinking. That's actually true that we desperately need Christ. We rely on him and we learn that when we see how truly foolish and weak we are, that's when we turn and see that, you know what? We're strong in Christ. I'm going to follow him. Now, I know that I can seem like our disappointments last forever and they may last your entire sojourn here on earth but that's pretty short compared to eternity paul's response to this is in second corinthians 4 where he says these hardships are light and momentary so he focuses on the the much greater eternal reward that he will have disappointments Point E also strengthens our walk of faith with Christ. God's word teaches us that we live by faith. Disappointments come in and says, I'm going to help you learn it a little bit more. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that I'll lift you up at the right time, casting all your anxieties on me because he cares for us. We experience situations where our faith is tested and tried, and we rejoice knowing that this is how he's turning our eyes truly to him. Disappointment helps us, therefore, to submit and rejoice in God's sovereignty. He has a plan for our struggles. He wants us to submit rather than fight in arrogance in, in times of, of darkness. We confess to the Lord, Lord, I don't understand this. I don't understand why you allowed this. But I'm going to, by faith, bow before you and believe you know best and that this is for my best, that you are changing me and us through this. And certainly I must mention that our disappointments teach us to depend on the Lord and that expresses itself in prayer. So disappointments teach us to pray. He says that we can come to him and coming to him He'll give us true rest. I love what Pastor Steve Fuller said. When you're feeling hopeless, don't wallow in self-pity or try to change your own heart or settle for Netflix. 
Turn to Christ in faith. Turn to Christ in faith. Remember the Lord Jesus knew deep disappointment. Disciples continually let him down. All forsook him. One denied him. One betrayed him. He knows the pain, the disappointment, the frustration we experience. He can sympathize with us. He can truly support us as we reel from the blows. He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And I look at Christ, I don't see disappointment. I'm not saying I understand, but I see their joy and wisdom and grace. He'll never leave us, and he'll never forsake us. So we learn to bless the hand that disciplines us and drives us to more of his grace in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we could be together and to begin to study what your word says about your grace in and through disappointment. Lord, I know for for some this has been a, a breath of fresh air. For others, it's been a burden because of the wrestling. Lord, we, we want to confess to you, Lord, that we are very weak, and our weakness is highlighted when we fight for our own way rather than understand that this world is about you, about coming in submissive faith and trust, repenting of our own way, and turning to Christ. Lord, we, we're desperately in need for you this morning. We look to you. Lord, we confess to you so many wrong perspectives as we look at Naomi's life and we look at uh, Paul's struggles and we looked at the struggle with Asaph. Lord, we see so much of ourselves there and more. And we just still must have our own way. Lord, forgive us of that. And Lord, just continue to graciously adjust us and to help us to understand by faith those green pastures in Christ as we yield to your plan. And we, are, we, we rejoice in that greatest truth of the cross of how you brought out salvation for those who trust in you through the evil plottings of men. Lord, thank you for your spirit that works in us and draws us to glory and boast in Christ alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.